And this morning, uh, we're going to continue our studies in the Gospel of Luke. So if you would turn to Luke chapter 5. Do you want to learn more about Jesus? Good. That's good. I was thinking about that this morning and remembered an old gospel song. Maybe you've heard it. More, more about Jesus. More, more about Jesus. More of his saving fullness see. More of his love who died for me. That's what we're interested in doing, learning more about Jesus. That's why we're studying the gospel of Luke, because while we may have some knowledge of him, we all have much, much more to learn. There are many people who think Jesus was a great teacher in the manner of a Confucius or a Buddha, a wise person who dispensed sayings to help people. And of course, Jesus was a wise teacher, but it goes deeper than that, doesn't it? Others regarded him as a great prophet in the tradition of an Elijah or Elisha who performed mighty miracles. But who was he really, and what was he like, and what did he do, and why? We need to turn to the pages of Scripture to find out more about this unique person. The Bible says that the riches of Christ are unfathomable. They are unsearchable. You'll never get to the bottom. But to search these things out, Proverbs tells us, is a kingly thing. And that's what we're interested in doing. Last week, Jean LeConte preached from Luke chapter 5, the beginning of the chapter, on the calling of the first disciples. And you will remember that it was a story that was highlighted by by the miraculous catch of fish. Uh, Jesus was teaching a crowd that was standing on the shore. He was in a boat that was a little way off the shore and... We're not told what he taught because the point of the account there is what happened afterward when he told Peter, whose fishing boat it was that he was in, to put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And remember, Peter and his fellow fishermen, they'd been laboring all night. They'd caught nothing. And Peter was a fisherman. Jesus was a carpenter. And I'm sure he was a fine carpenter. But he wouldn't have known as much as Peter did about catching fish. So Peter protested slightly, but out of respect, he followed Jesus' instruction. And wow, did they not only catch fish, they caught so many fish that their nets were breaking. They caught so many fish that they had to call to the other boat to help them. Jesus, you see, knew where the fish were. And this little story highlights the fundamental nature of Jesus' miracles. They're not mythological tales or made-up stories. No, they are real events. They authenticate his lordship, 
They demonstrate his power, but there is a deeper spiritual significance to them. In other words, they have a point. They have a meaning. There's a spiritual significance. They're not just cool stories. And in this case, that had to do with the mission of Jesus. He calls disciples to help him make more disciples. The miracle, miraculous catch of fish, yeah, yeah, it arrests our attention. But, but more than catching fish, you, Peter, Jesus says, are going to be catching men. You remember that? Catching men is a metaphor for mission. Catching men and women and boys and girls, that's a metaphor for mission. It's a metaphor for making disciples because, my friends, like fish, you and I have been caught, have we not? We have been caught in God's net of salvation because down the line, some disciple that Jesus made through other disciples came to us and presented to us the gospel. It might have been your parents. It might have been a friend. It might have been a preacher that you heard. Somewhere along the line, if you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, you've been caught in God's net. He's captured you for himself to save you, not to have you for dinner. Okay? Well, the disciples were called. Peter was called to be fishers of men. And we're also called to be fishers of men. We enter into this mission of catching others for God's glory. And each of us has a part to play in this. This making of disciples. Whether, parents, it's raising your children to the glory of God, or maybe it's flipping hamburgers at an outreach event, or some membership or involvement in a ministry of the church or some activity, even just living godly lives in your home, at work, in your school, as an ambassador for Jesus Christ. As we go about our daily lives, if we're disciples of the Lord, we have a part in this wonderful mission of catching men and women and boys and girls for the glory of God. That was last week. So we've got a, a nice miracle that provides Peter and his buddies with some good income. They leave their fishing business and they go to follow Jesus. And we get that little metaphor of catching men. Well, today we're going to look at two more miracles, two more miracle stories of Jesus. The cleansing of the leper and the healing of the paralytic. And again, like all of Jesus' miracles, they meet real needs, they display his power, they authenticate his message, and they have a deeper significance for us, the people of God. In other words, the miracles we're going to hear about today have a point to them, they have a meaning, and we'll take them up one at a time. First of all, the miraculous healing, or rather, the miraculous cleansing of the leper. And so Luke chapter 5, reading from verse 12, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy, and when he saw Jesus, he fell on his feet, fell on his face rather, and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand 
and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Jesus is able and willing to cleanse the outcast. Leprosy was a terrible disease, especially so in the ancient world where there was no treatment for it. The situation of a person with leprosy was nothing short of tragic. The leper, you see, was an outcast from society. In Leviticus chapters 13 and 14, you may have read how details are given how to deal with contagious skin disease. Now it's recognized today that the skin disease in those chapters could be of various forms, including leprosy, didn't have to be leprosy. There were various types of skin disease that Leviticus 13 and 14 deal with. But the man talked about here is described as being full of leprosy. So he had the full disease, the real disease. Leprosy rendered a person unclean. And that meant that they were unfit for fellowship with God and with others. And there were protocols that had to be followed with regard to leprosy. The leper must wear torn clothing. They were to remain outside the camp. And they were to warn others who might approach by covering their upper lip and crying out, unclean, unclean, as they went along. What a tragic existence. If you've ever seen that movie, Ben-Hur, you might remember that Ben-Hur's mother and sister contracted leprosy and they had to live apart. It was a horrible existence. See, the leper was unclean. He could spread the disease to others. And the point of Leviticus was to limit the spread of disease. But if you read those chapters, you're, you're struck by the lack of compassion for the leper himself. They don't even seem to be in view. Well, this man came to Jesus, it's written, while Jesus was in one of the cities teaching. So for the leper to go into a city where there was other people, this was daring on his part, something he wasn't supposed to do. It was daring, it was brave, but this man was desperate. He was also humble. It says he fell on his face. He was abject, he knew his lowliness, and he begged Jesus, if you will, you can make me clean. He didn't say if you can, he said if you will. He'd obviously heard about Jesus and he had no doubt that Jesus possessed the power to do this miracle, but, but would he be willing to do it? I know you can, but will you? Would he be willing? That was what the man wasn't sure about. 
But Jesus was willing. He stretched out his hand and he even touched him. He said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. In other words, as soon as Jesus spoke those words, the leprosy left. And it was all due to Jesus' authority. Now he charged the man not to tell anyone. He said, show yourself to the priest. And that was again to follow the protocols that were there in the law of Moses so that the man could be reinstated again to society. The man apparently did tell others, however, because the report went out and now great crowds gathered to hear Jesus. Before, it had just been a crowd. Now, it was literally many crowds. But back to the man for the moment. Do you notice what he asked for? I misspoke when I first read the passage. He didn't ask for healing. He asked for cleansing. If you will, you can make me clean. His problem was he was unclean due to the leprosy and he therefore had to live apart from everyone else. Now, this biblical concept of the clean and the unclean, and if you've read the Old Testament, you've come across it, this concept of clean and unclean is very puzzling to us modern-day Christians. Because if you've read your Old Testament, you know that there are certain things that render a person unclean. For instance, if you come in contact with a corpse, um, if there are certain bodily discharges, uh, also a woman who gives birth is unclean for a period of time. To be unclean is not necessarily to be sinful. There's nothing sinful about giving birth to a child. Clean and unclean are concepts that have to do with something called the holiness of God, especially God's purity. God is holy and man is not. Do you remember what Isaiah said when he saw the vision of God's holiness? In Isaiah 6, Isaiah saw the Lord lifted up and his glorious majesty filled the temple and the angels cried out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And when the angels cried out holy three times, that was the way to emphasize God's holiness. He's holy to the max. God is utterly holy. But what was Isaiah's response? He said, woe is me, for I am undone. I'm lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. When he caught a vision of God's holiness, he realized what he was in comparison. He was unclean. Now that can also involve our sinfulness as human beings. When Peter saw the great catch of fish and realized that it was due to Jesus' word, he realized that, whew, there's more to Jesus than I thought. Behold, what manner of man is this? And do you remember what Peter said? He said, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Uncleanness, sinfulness. We're unfit to come before God. God has to make us clean 
before we can approach him. The leper was very aware that he was unclean and that he was therefore an outcast. Jesus made it clear to him that he receives the outcasts. And that's one of the underlying meanings here of this miracle. Jesus can make clean the unclean, but that he also receives the outcasts. How about you? Are you unclean? That carries with it a lot of negative connotations, doesn't it? But I'm unclean. You're unclean. By nature, we're unclean because the standard for purity and holiness is God himself. And in his presence, in and of ourselves, we are all unclean. But if we come, as this leper did, to Jesus in sincerity, if we come to him in humility, if we come to him in desperation, asking him to cleanse us, not only will he receive us, but he will touch us and he will make us his own because Jesus receives the outcasts. What the leper was, we all are. It was just very apparent with him. It may not be so apparent to you and me because our standard is to compare ourselves among ourselves and say, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. But then there's somebody else here that makes us feel like, ooh, I'm not as good as so-and-so. And we are in this continual evaluation of ourselves in terms of others, but that's the wrong standard. The true standard is before God himself. The man with leprosy was unclean. Uh, something else about it, though, had he done anything to deserve his leprosy? Not that we know of. Jesus doesn't ask him any questions either. Hey, how'd you get in this condition? Doesn't give any indication the guy had done anything wrong. You know, sometimes people have health conditions that are a direct consequence of their wrong actions. You know, when a person drinks to excess over and over again, alcohol, it's no surprise when they have liver disease. But what about the child that gets cancer? You know, living in a fallen world renders us unclean, but sometimes that might not be due to anything that we may have done wrong. Sometimes people experience hardship through no fault of their own. As far as we know, this man full of leprosy had done nothing to deserve it. All that just to point out that life in a fallen world can sometimes be very tragic and we can't always know the reasons why. But we can know that Jesus is able and willing to cleanse us from our uncleanness and receive us to himself. Amen. Back in 1986, not that much was known about the disease called AIDS. It had come into public awareness. All that was known was it was highly contagious and very deadly. I was pastoring in Lancaster, Pennsylvania at the time, and a member of my congregation asked me if I'd visit a friend of his who was in the hospital. I said, sure. But then he told me he has AIDS. Now, remember, we didn't know too much about it, and I thought, hmm, 
I had to think a bit. I have a wife and small children. But I ended up going to the hospital. And when I came into the hospital room, Manny was there and his doctor. And I said to the doctor, I ordinarily pray for people with a laying on of hands. Is, is that okay? And he walked over to Manny and he tousled his hair and he said, it's fine. And that gave me some assurance that I could safely pray for Manny. I prayed for him. Was he healed? No, he died. But that wouldn't happen for a year. During that time, as a result of the ministry of many people in our church, Manny came to faith in Jesus Christ. We received the outcast. He didn't receive a miracle of healing, but you know, even if he had, he still would have grown old eventually and died, but he did hear the gospel, and through believing that message, he became a follower of Jesus and received eternal life. I remember some of my conversations with uh, Manny. He had been a, uh, a, a tough hombre in the Puerto Rican gang community of Lancaster and used a lot of intravenous drugs and that was the presenting reason why he contracted AIDS. He had been six foot, 200 pounds, a big strong guy by the time he died. He weighed less than 100 pounds. I baptized him two weeks before he died and I remember coming up the stairs to his room and the hospice nurse being there with him, whispering to me, I think he just left us. It was the first time that I'd ever been in the presence of a person who transferred from this world to the next. I remember what a sober moment that was. As his soul left his body, but he was welcomed by Jesus on the other side. Life in a fallen world is hard and sometimes tragic. For Manny, he was an outcast who was received by the Lord and by his people. The cleansing of the leper is a miracle that tells us Jesus receives the outcast who may be responsible for their situation or may not be. But Jesus receives the outcast who comes in sincerity, in humility, in desperation, and in faith. Those are the terms upon which we are also received by Jesus, and cleansed. A further point is, if this is how Jesus is, does he want us to be like this also? I think so. Jesus is able and willing to cleanse the outcast. Next story, continuing on, verse 17. On one of those days... As he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. 
And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven you, or to say rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God, and amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Now Luke takes a moment to present the setting for this. Jesus is sitting in a house teaching and his fame has spread to the point where he has attracted the attention of the religious leaders. Pharisees and teachers of the law, also known as scribes, were sitting there before him. They'd come from every village of Galilee, every village of Judea and even Jerusalem. So there were a lot of people there, besides the other ordinary folks who had come. These scribes and Pharisees had come there so that they could cheer Jesus on, right? Actually, no, they had come to check him out. They'd heard about him. We're also told that the power of the Lord was there. So that's the setting. And now, some men, we are told, brought a man who was paralyzed but the crowd was so great they couldn't get into the house. But they were enterprising fellows, so they took their friend up on the roof, they opened a hole in the tiles on the roof, and they, rigging and hauling, I guess, just let him down so that he was before Jesus in the midst. And when Jesus saw their faith, whose faith? Their faith. The faith of the men that brought him, and certainly the faith of the man who allowed them to do all this to him. This was great faith. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees hear this, and they're not pleased. They questioned, but not out loud, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sin but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking. He purposely provoked this entire encounter because he's going to do a miracle. He's going to make a point, but he's building up to it now. And so there is tension in the room, and that tension will make the miracle stand out all the more. So Jesus answered them, though they had not asked anything out loud, because Jesus knew their thoughts. Now, let's just pause there for a moment. Jesus knows our 
thoughts. Right now, He knows what you are thinking. Does that make you at all nervous? I recall the first time I became aware of this. I think I was five years old. I'd done something or other, and my mother said to me, God can see everything you do. Can he even see through the ceiling, I asked her? Yes, he can. Boy, that sobered me up for about a half hour. (laughs) And then I was back to being the wicked little boy that I was. But it's still true. God knows everything that you're thinking. And kids, this is different from mom saying that mothers have eyes in the backs of their heads. Okay, That's not true. But they just know a whole lot more than you do. That's why it seems like it. But no, no, God really does know everything that you were thinking. Jesus knew what these guys were thinking. So he asked a question. They had questions? I got a question for you. Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, rise up and walk? Now, true, on one level, it's easy to say both those things because words are cheap, okay? But Jesus does not speak empty words. So, it's actually easier to say, your sins are forgiven because there's no way to visually verify the truth of that statement. You can't see forgiveness, so it's easier to say, your sins are forgiven. Nobody can see that. Nobody can call you out on that. But to say, take up your bed and walk to a paralytic, that's harder to say because it can be visually verified. It can be substantiated. It's easier to say something that can't be visually verified than to say something that can. Your sins are forgiven. Can't see that. Maybe it happened, maybe it didn't. I don't know. That's easy to say. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And that is exactly what this previously paralyzed man does. He gets up, he picks up his pallet, and he goes home. And he does it immediately. There was no doubt that the miracle occurred due to Jesus' words. And the reaction that followed was amazement, God being glorified, it was awe-inspiring, it was extraordinary. But don't miss the point for all the excitement It was so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. The miracle of healing could be visually verified. It could be seen. It was seen. Jesus' words, rise and walk, carried power and authority that could be seen. It was seen. But wait a minute. That means that his word your sins are forgiven, also carry power and authority. Then that means it's true that the Son of Man does have authority to forgive sins. But wait a minute, only God can forgive sins. 
than Jesus. Who are you really? Aren't you just a wise teacher? Well, yeah, he certainly checks out the wise teacher box. Aren't you a prophet like Elijah or Elisha? Remember Elisha? He healed Naaman, the Syrian, of leprosy. We just read about that in Luke chapter 4. You're a prophet like that, right? Well, yeah, he checks off the prophet box. But authority to forgive sin? Yeah. You see, that's the deeper significance of this miracle. Jesus has authority to forgive sin. The healing is amazing. It's a big deal. It's extraordinary. But forgiving sin, my friends, is an even bigger deal, a much bigger deal. This man would walk and live and eventually grow old and die. But if his sins were forgiven, he will live forever. He didn't come that day for forgiveness. His friends didn't bring him so he could be forgiven. He was a paralytic. He came to be healed. Jesus did heal him, but he used that occasion, he used that miracle to teach something much deeper, to teach that he has authority to forgive sin. This man thought his problem was he was paralyzed. That's what his friends thought. Well, that was true. That was a problem, but he had a need that was much deeper and more serious than that, and Jesus met it. So how about you? What do you think your problem is? You're coming to Jesus. Why? When I first came to Jesus, I knew what my problem was. I was depressed. I was fearful. I had panic attacks. I had anxiety. I smoked. I drank. I did drugs. I figured if I could overcome those vices, I'd feel better and I'd be fine. And I had hope in Jesus. So I came to Jesus and I asked him, in sincerity and in desperation and in humility if he would heal me with those things because I thought that was my problem. But boy, I had a problem much deeper than that. My problem, man, ran much, much deeper than that. Now, after some 50, 50 years of walking with the Lord, I can see my problem was a whole lot deeper than that. But even now, I still don't think I see the depths of it. And, and you know, we're not told what sins this particular man had that Jesus forgave. He just issued blanket forgiveness. That was where the man was at. And that was the need, and Jesus met it. And when you and I come to Jesus in sincerity and in humility and in desperation and in faith, they came in faith, right? They believed. Jesus meets us right where we are. And when you put these two stories together, you have the wonderful truths that Jesus forgives sin and Jesus cleanses. I don't have leprosy and I'm not paralyzed, okay? But I am unclean and a sinner before a holy God. And if he appeared in unveiled glory before me right now, I would disintegrate. We talk about wanting to see the glory of God. Oh, be careful of that prayer. 
Moses wanted to see the glory of God and God said, I'll just hide you in a cleft of the rock. You might be able to grasp my afterglow, but to see me in all my glory would be too much for you. I love you too much. No, God veils his glory. He veiled his glory in human flesh when he sent Jesus Christ to become incarnate and to live a holy life and to die a sacrificial death, to rise from the dead, all for us and our salvation. The theological categories for this, my friends, are pollution and guilt. Because of our fallenness, Adam fell and all of his posterity fell in him. And because of that, we have problems. We are guilty and we are polluted. Sometimes the word corrupt is used. Pollution and corruption have to do with the moral problem we have before God. Guilt has to do with the legal problem we have before God. Jesus has come to deal with both of those things, to cleanse us from our unrighteousness and to forgive us our sins. As John writes in his first letter, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, his salvation is a full salvation. He died so that we might be cleansed and forgiven. These two stories, these two miracles tell us that like the leper, we can be cleansed. Like the outcast, we can be received. And the story of the paralytic being healed tells us that, ah, our deeper problem of sin, Jesus takes care of that. He forgives it. Why? Because the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. So, we're learning more about Jesus, aren't we? We're learning that He's more than a wise man. He's more than a prophet. He's the Son of Man. He is that figure, the Messiah of God. He is actually God himself, God the Son, who has authority on earth to forgive sin. See, the more we learn about him, the deeper our appreciation becomes. These things, uncleanness, sin, we, we can't see them. They're spiritual problems. We can see manifestations of them. Some people, however, are completely unaware of their desperate state before God. The one good thing about the leper is he knew he was desperate. And he knew that if there was any place he could possibly find help, it had to be with Jesus. The thing about the paralytic, he had friends and he had a hope that Jesus could heal him, but he had no idea just how deep that healing would go. Sometimes it's good for us to see our need. Sometimes it's a good thing for us to find ourselves in desperate straits because then we know that if there's going to be any help at all, it's going to have to come from God. The things we find ourselves in in this tragic world are sometimes hard for us to understand. But panning the camera at, back to, to see the bigger picture the spiritual problems that we have are the real issues. Our uncleanness and our guilt, our pollution, our corruption, our sinfulness before a holy God, that's what Jesus came to deal with. 
oh, we think we've got just problems in society or we have political problems that a new president could solve or a more effective Congress or things like that. And it's not that those things aren't important. They are. We still have to live in this world. But what is of ultimate importance is being presented to us here in the Gospel of Luke. And the solutions to our deepest problem are found in a person. They're found in Jesus. In the gospel accounts, we see him teach and perform miracles. It's the miracles that draw attention so that people will hear the teaching. And what is the teaching? It's the message of the gospel. Because whatever your problem is, you're still going to grow old and die. But the deeper problem is solved by the teaching message of Jesus Christ, the gospel that Christ died for your sins, to take care of your guilt before God and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's why he came. Are you unclean? Are you a sinner? Are you guilty before God? Yes, you are. Yes, I am. The leper needed cleansing, no less do you and I. The paralytic needed forgiveness, no less do you and I. But you can be cleansed. You can be forgiven. How? Just like these guys. Come to Jesus. Come in sincerity. Come in humility. Come in faith. But come because he will never reject the ones who come to him in this way. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus to die for our sins. We thank you that you raised him from the dead for our justification. We thank you that you allowed him to do this for us so that we might be forgiven and receive the gift of eternal life. Lord, we reckon that in and of ourselves, we are unfit, we are unclean, we are in great need. But Jesus Christ has seen our need. God, you, our Father, have seen our need. And Holy Spirit, you have worked to bring this great salvation to us and to apply it to us in the present. Oh Lord, give us grace to believe in Jesus and to learn more and more about Jesus more of his saving fullness see, more of his love who died for me. In Jesus' name, amen.